Happy Sabbath, family. What's going on? Temple of Praise, Grace Community, wherever you are watching from, happy Sabbath to you. It is so good to be back in this virtual space with you. Listen, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I know that you've been enjoying this worship experience up to this point. It reminds me of that passage of scripture that that goes like this. uh, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. And and that's exactly what we've been doing today. And so I just want to invite you in this moment. I know I'm not with you wherever you are worshiping from, wherever you are watching or viewing this from. Let's just take just 10 seconds to bless the name of the Lord right now. I know I can't hear you, but I know he can. If you want to put your hands together, Together, go ahead and do that. If you want to stand to your feet, if you want to lift up your holy hands, whatever you need to do in this moment, let's just take a moment to bless the name of the Lord, to let him know that he's worthy, that he's able. And we are grateful for how he has sustained us, how he has protected us and taken care of us. Listen, the word says, let everything that hath breath praise ye the Lord. I'm so excited for the opportunity to be back here with you all. It's my prayer on behalf of not just myself, but also um, uh, pastors, Myron and Pastor Regina. It's our prayer that this series has been a blessing to you. Listen, I just want to make sure you all are paying attention and you should already know this by now because of how long we've been in this series. But if you know the series that we are operating in right now, go ahead and type that thing in the comments section. What's the name of the series? Type it in the comments section right now. Uh, And I already know you know it. It is enough is enough. Come on and say that with me. Enough is enough. And the Lord has been given some powerful messages, some powerful preaching, powerful teaching in the word of God that came directly from his word. We have been breaking down under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the book of First Corinthians. And I pray that it's been a blessing to you. And so I'm excited today because we're kind of shifting gears just a little bit. We're still operating in our same series, Enough is Enough, but we're making a transition starting right now from the book of 1 Corinthians that we've been studying to now its uh, twin book or sister book, uh, whichever one you prefer, 2 Corinthians. And we're going to start right now. And for the next Sabbath, uh, God willing, we are going to break down this book just like we did 1 Corinthians 1. And our prayer is that you have been blessed thus far. And so, Enough is enough. We're getting right into this thing. Go ahead and grab your Bibles, grab your iPhones, your Androids, whatever it is you have. We want to go right ahead and get into God's word right now in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, we go into chapter 1. Just a few verses we want to consider and read in in your hearing. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, verses three to seven. Listen, I hope you're excited for the word of God. Hope you're ready for the word of God. We're getting right into this thing right now. Second Corinthians chapter one, and I want to read in your hearing verses three through seven. All right, here it is. The word of God speaking, Paul speaking rather, uh, the Lord speaking through him says this. Second Corinthians chapter one, starting at verse three. The Bible says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you with me? The father of mercy. Some of your translations might say the father of compassion uh, and God of all comfort. Verse four, who comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able. Watch this. uh, Who comforts us in all of our tribulation for a purpose. And here's the purpose. In order that we may be able to comfort those others 
who are in any trouble. Uh, and it doesn't, doesn't specify what kind of trouble. It could be car trouble. It could be financial trouble. It could be relational trouble. The Bible does not say. It just says that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Verse 5, for as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our comfort also abounds through Christ. Verse 6, now, if we are afflicted, if we are suffering, and the word of God says that we will endure suffering and tribulation, uh, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. So our suffering is for your benefit, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Finally, verse 7 and our hope for you is steadfast. It's ongoing. It's in good supply because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, as you deal with some of those troubles that we've been dealing with, as you deal with some of those trials that we've endured, so also, Paul says, will you partake of the comfort. I want to speak to you right now uh, for the next few moments under the intentional title you are coming out. You are coming out. I wonder if anybody can claim that thing over your life right now. Go ahead and just proclaim it. Put it into the atmosphere, regardless of what you're going through, how hard it is, how frustrating times may be. Just declare over your own life, I'm coming out. Who can say that right now? I'm coming out. I know it feels like I'm defeated right now. I know it may feel like you want to throw in the towel. I know this year has sucked to high heavens, but who can just declare over your own life? I know I can speak it over you, but who can declare over themselves with the power of the Holy Spirit? I'm coming out. It ain't going to always be like this. It's not going to always be bad days. COVID ain't going to always be here. I'm coming out. That's the word that we want to proclaim over your lives right now. You are coming out. And I'm telling you that by faith, because I believe what the word of God says. You're coming out. Lord, we thank you so much for this opportunity uh, to hear a word from you, to speak a word from you. And we're asking that you would have your way, that you would make complex things simple, that you would rightly divide your word of truth. And I pray that the end result are changed lives, changed hearts, transformed people who are ready to be in the army of the Lord. That's my prayer. And Lord, we're declaring right now in Jesus' name that we're coming out. We're coming out because you told us that we would. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You are coming out. Is that good to anybody? We ain't even got into it yet, but is that good news to anybody that you are coming out? Uh, one of the hardest things that I have discovered, one of the hardest things for us to hear is the truth about ourselves. Yeah, um, it's been my experience. Maybe some of you can feel me on that, and you've encountered that even in your own life. But one of the hardest things, one of the hardest realities that I've come to know is when we hear the truth about ourselves. Uh, we don't necessarily have an issue with the truth itself. In fact, I believe that most believers, if given the choice between the truth and a lie, that we would choose the truth uh, 10 times out of 10. So I don't believe that, that, it's, that we necessarily have an issue with the truth itself. In fact, if we're being honest and we tell the truth and shame the devil on this Sabbath afternoon, if we're being honest, uh, we would be generally unbothered by the truth about somebody else. 
Now, that doesn't mean that we're unempathetic. It does not mean that we don't sympathize with others, that we don't have a heart for other people. But just in comparison to if I'm hearing the truth about myself, what has been the case even in my own life, I'm going to tell the truth, y'all, is that we tend to generally be unbothered when it comes to the truth about somebody else. But if I could just give you a word of counsel right here as it uh, as it um, uh, uh, suggests or connects to that. Be careful, friends, how you celebrate the truth about somebody else. Be careful how you champion and how you get excited about and how you get happy for the truth about somebody else being revealed, regardless of how ugly that truth is, regardless of how damaging that truth is. Sometimes we can get to a point uh, where we get so high and mighty that we can look down on other people when the truth about them becomes revealed. But one thing that I've come to know about the truth is that it always has a way of coming to knock at your own door. So be careful how you celebrate the truth that is revealed about other people. And so, no, I don't think we have an issue with the truth itself, but I believe that the whole game changes when you and I begin to listen to the truth about ourselves. Yeah, I think the whole thing shuts down when you start to hear the truth about yourself. Come here, Jack Nicholson, if you can hear that one-liner in his movie where he says you can't handle the truth. Listen, the truth has a way of humbling us. The truth has a way of knocking us down to size. The whole game changes when we hear the truth about ourselves. And so with this same, this same thing in mind, when we hear the truth about ourselves, generally speaking, a wave of discomfort begins to overtake us. A wave of discomfort begins to settle in. And at that moment in time, we are really only left with two options. When we hear the truth about ourselves, right, uh, it begins to make us unsettled and uncomfortable. And there's really only two options that are presented to us in that moment in time. We're going to go either in one direction or in the other direction. And so the first direction that some of us go in when we hear or see or are presented with the truth about ourselves is that we hear the truth as ugly as it may be, as messy as it may be, as horrible as it may be. We hear the truth, watch this, then we learn from that truth about ourselves and we plead the blood of Jesus, his grace and his mercy over our lives and we grow from that truth about ourselves. Do I have any witnesses in the house today. I know you're not in here, but any witnesses in your own house who can testify that I've been there before. I've been in situations where I've been presented about the truth about myself and I didn't want to see it. It was not good to see. It was not something that I wanted to hear, but I learned from that thing. And by the grace of God, he carried me through it and he even grew me up in that thing. I know I'm not the only one that's been there before who has been presented with the mess that is your own life. And you said, if it were not for the grace of God, I would still be that same version of myself. I'm grateful today that I'm different. I'm grateful that I'm not the same thing that I always used to be. I'm grateful that I'm changed now because even when I was presented with the truth about myself, I learned from that thing and the Lord grew me up through it. Now, that's one direction that we can go in. We hear the truth about ourselves. We see the truth about ourselves. We're presented with the truth about ourselves and we learn from it and then we grow through it. 
But then there's another direction, y'all. There's another direction that we tend to go in when we hear the truth about ourselves and we see how ugly it is. Uh, we see how unpresentable it is. We, we see how horrible that thing is. And then there's another category of us who go in a different direction where when we see the truth about ourselves, we become defensive. <laughs> when we see the truth about ourselves, that's when we put the boxing gloves on. And we're ready to go a few rounds. When we hear the truth about ourselves, we get to a point where we get angry and we get frustrated and we begin to think to ourselves, how dare you come at me with the truth about myself? How dare you present to me and reveal to me the ugly, the ugliness in my character, the defects in my personality? There's another class of us. Uh, when we hear the truth about ourselves that we don't learn from that thing, we don't go to God about that thing. No, we don't react to it in godly ways, but we begin to act in ungodly ways when we hear the truth about ourselves and we become defensive. And then we start to do things like lash out at people. Yeah, we, we start to do things like uh, like fight back. We we become manipulative and we become deceitful. We become vengeful, even though the word of God says vengeance is mine, says the Lord, and I will repay recompense. We we start to take matters into our own hands because now I have some shame. Now I have some embarrassment because I've come face to face with the reality that is my life. Listen, I got one question. Have you ever been there? Has that ever been your experience where you've been presented with the truth about yourself? If I'm being honest, I've found myself on both ends of the spectrum at different times in my life. Yeah, there have been some times where I reached out to God and I said, Lord, even me have grace and mercy on my life and help me to grow through this thing. And there have been other times. Help me, Holy Ghost. There have been other times where I've gotten angry. There have been other times where I got frustrated. There have been other times where out of embarrassment, I lashed out at whoever I could because I did not want to be presented with the reality of my own life. Have you ever been there? And if you have, just put there in the comment section, I've been there before. Watch this, y'all. Paul came face to face with the powerful, with how powerful the ripple effects of the truth can be. The Apostle Paul came face to face with how powerful the ripple effects of the truth can be. For all intents and purposes, the entire book of 1 Corinthians was Paul's attempt to do one thing and one thing only, to tell the truth. <laughs> Listen, y'all, you, you, uh, maybe you remember this from when you were a child. You can get in trouble for telling the truth. Like, like thing, things, can, <laughs> things can come crashing down when you choose to tell the truth. And what we find in 1 Corinthians, you've been reading it with us, what we find in 1 Corinthians was Paul's attempt, his best attempt, to tell the truth. And it just so happens that his mission in that letter was not so much to tell the truth about himself. Although Paul had no issue putting himself on front street. I can remember uh, seeing Paul in the book of Romans where Paul said, listen, the good that I want to do, I don't do that. But the bad that I don't want to do, that I keep doing. Paul didn't have an ego problem. He didn't have no superiority complex. He had no issue putting himself out there. But it just so happened that his mission in writing this letter in 1 Corinthians uh, did not really have to do with him telling the truth about himself, but it was to tell the Corinthian believers the truth 
truth about themselves. And those of you who have been rocking with us for a while now, you've been studying with us, you've been uh, listening to sermon after sermon after sermon of our preaching on 1 Corinthians, you know that Paul has some difficult truths to hand out to the Corinthian believers. He dealt with some difficult stuff. He dealt with some crucial truths. And so now we can begin to discover why they were so angry and up in arms at the truth that he was dispelling and sharing in front of them. It was in 1 Corinthians where Paul told them the truth about their divisive nature. It was in 1 Corinthians where Paul told them the truth about their selfishness. It was in 1 Corinthians where Paul told them the truth about their infatuation with being smart over being godly. It was in 1 Corinthians where Paul told them the truth about their lackluster worship practices. It was in 1 Corinthians, you remember, when Paul told them the truth about their emphasis on giftedness over love. It was in 1 Corinthians where Paul began to reveal the truth to them about their concern or lack of concern for the spiritual nurture of other people. It was in 1 Corinthians where Paul began to share with them the truth about their dedication to tradition and personal preference over the soul salvation of the people who were worshiping and believing God right along with them. He told them the truth about themselves. And if we're being honest, that truth revealed some demonic stuff in that church. Listen to me, y'all. I know that we all uh, belong to a church uh, that believes in the Bible uh, from Genesis to Revelation. I know we belong to a church just like the Corinthian believers did that preach Christ and preach him crucified. I know we belong to a church that believes in state of the dead, that believes in Bible prophecy, all these different things like that. And the believers in Corinth thought the same thing. They belong to a church that believed in God. But how many of us know that just because you preach God and believe in God and believe in Jesus and believe in the Holy Spirit, that if you are not careful, there can be times even in your church where you look more demonic than godly. And if there is anything that can pull out demonic forces like nothing else, it is when the truth comes to light. <laughs> yeah, when the truth comes to the surface, that's when you really start to see who's godly and who's demonic. When the truth comes to the surface, that's when you begin to separate the wheat from the tares. When the truth comes to the surface, that's when we start to see what people are really made of. And that's exactly what Paul began to see here in 2 Corinthians. And so here is what we must keep in mind as we make the transition from understanding 1 Corinthians to now understanding 2 Corinthians. And it's this, very simple, that 1 Corinthians was Paul telling the believers the truth about themselves. Now, 2 Corinthians was written as a result of their responses to the truth that Paul shared with them. Did you catch that? Yeah, Paul, Paul, what we find in 1 Corinthians was Paul's attempt to tell the truth about the believers and here in 2 Corinthians, as we begin working through this book, we will see that it was written as a result of their response, as a result of their response to Paul telling the truth. And so often in 2 Corinthians, if you read through this book, one of the things that you'll see is that we see Paul defending his apostleship. 
We, we find Paul defending his apostolic conduct and behavior. We find Paul defending his apostolic character, why he is the way he is. We find Paul in 2 Corinthians often defending uh, his, his apostolic calling that God had placed on his life. We find him heavily reminding us of the, of the fact that the main impetus behind everything that he said, the main force behind everything that he did was Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. We find Paul uh, engaging in this kind of talk. And here is why he had to do what he did in 2 Corinthians, because the word of God says that in the midst of a group of believers in God, a professed community of believers that Paul had a hand in founding and baptizing. The word of God says that there were false teachers. Come on in here. Somebody write false teachers in the comment section. The Bible says there were, <coughs> there were false teachers that rose up from among the Corinthian believers. There was a group of people who were false teachers, who, who were not trying to do things according to thus saith the Lord. And they rose up from among the, the Corinthian believers who did not like hearing the truth about themselves. It rubbed them the wrong way. It angered them. It frustrated them. And so the word says that they began to try to manipulate the people that were there with them. They began to try to rally the people of God against Paul so that they would no longer be accepting of his ministry, so that they would no longer listen to what he had to say, so that they would no longer receive the letters and the preaching and the words that Paul sent their way. And you cannot tell me that that does not sound satanic. You know your Bibles, Temple of Praise. You know your Bibles, Grace Community, where the word of God says in Revelation that there was war even in heaven. And why was there war in heaven? Because Lucifer was so discontent, even in a perfect environment like heaven, because he was not the center of attention. Because he felt like he should be ranked higher than God. Because he felt that he should be given more than what he was given. And what does the word of God say? That in his anger, in his frustration, uh, in, in his discontent, he began to politic and to rally the angels against the cause of God. Right there in the environment of heaven, he began to rally the people against God. And the word of God says that he was so good at politicking. He was so good at rallying. He was so good at sowing discord that he convinced a third of the angels. That's the word. The Bible says there's millions of angels and he was able to convince a third of them to go against God. He was able to convince a third of them to believe that, that what God wanted for them was not in their best interest. But I'm so glad today. I am so glad when I look at the word of God where I found that there was still a majority that existed in Corinth that said, I don't mind accepting the truth about myself if it means I can be connected to the truth that is Jesus Christ. Is there anybody that's grateful in here today who's watching online that Jesus is so much better than you are? Anybody who is humble enough to say, I don't have to think highly of myself. I don't need no superiority complex because the word says that when I'm weak, then he is strong, that his grace is sufficient for me. Can you hear these believers in Corinth as they, as they work against those false teachers trying to move them against the cause of Christ as they say, I will not be swayed to the left or to the right. I am standing on the promises of God. I'm grateful 
that a majority still existed even at that time. So watch this, y'all. Make no mistake about it, that Paul knows what it's like to carry a burden that's too heavy for him to bear. Uh, He knows what it's like uh, to have to, to have to face fierce opposition simply for doing what God told him to do. And I want to look in this camera on behalf of Paul at somebody who I believe that the apostle is speaking to right now who finds yourself in a similar situation. I believe that Paul is speaking to somebody right now uh, who is facing hell in your life simply for doing what God told you to do. I'm looking at you because I know you're out there and you're catching hell right now just for being obedient to what God told you to do. Paul is speaking to somebody right now, somebody who might be getting attacked by the very people that you've been trying to help in the name of God. I know he's talking to somebody, uh, somebody who has faced more dark days than sunny days recently because you're determined to be faithful no matter what. Paul is talking to somebody today, right now, and I believe that it is somebody who is debating whether to throw in the towel uh, because you're, you're following God's calling on your life, but it has meant more turmoil than triumph so far in your life. And the good news today is that Paul has a word for you. And here it is, y'all. Uh, your trials, what you're facing right now, your trials are currently training you. <laughs> Somebody say, I'm being trained. I'm being trained. Your trials are currently training you to be able to transform others' troubles through godly comfort. Did you catch that? I'm going to say that again. Yeah, right now, right now, your trials, my trials, your trials are currently training you to be able to transform others' troubles through godly comfort. Paul reveals to us right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that there is a double blessing that is inherent in the burdens that we face. Uh, Somebody just say it ain't all bad. Even even when I'm facing, even when I'm facing difficulty, Paul says that there's a double blessing, not just one. He says there's a double blessing that is inherent in the burdens that you face. That when you're facing something that seems to be too heavy for you to carry, when you are going up a mountain that seems to be too steep to climb, Paul says, uh, take heed because there is a double blessing in that thing. Take courage, be of good courage, because there is a double blessing in that thing. See, this whole time you thought that, uh, that, that your burdens were meant to take you out. All this time you thought your burdens were meant to punish you or that your burdens were as a result of consequences because of past choices that you decided to make when no. Uh, in reality, Paul is saying that many of the burdens that we now face, especially for holy causes, has a double blessing. And so I know you're asking the question, what's that double blessing? Good question. Good question. Uh, Here's what Paul says. First, here's the first blessing. Our burdens train us to see God's comfort in the midst of confusion. Yeah. Our burdens. Here's the first blessing. When you're going through, when you're facing something that's too much for you to handle on your own, Paul says the first blessing is that our burdens train us to look for, to seek, and to find God's comfort even in the midst of confusion. Watch what the Word of God says in verse 3. The Bible says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Watch this. The Father 
of mercy. Some of your words say the father of compassion and the God of all comfort. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying that when people are coming for your neck, when, when, when it seems to be more criticism surrounding you than care and concern, when people uh, make it a habit of misinterpreting your intentions, when people start throwing dirt on your name, when people start talking behind your back, when it seems like uh, you are by yourself and there's nobody who understands what you're going through, Paul says, here is the first blessing in your burdens. We have the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort in our corners. Huh? Is that good news to somebody right now uh, who may feel misunderstood, who may feel like you're by yourself? Uh, mama, don't understand what you're going through. Daddy doesn't understand what you're going through. Wife or husband can't get with you right now. Son or daughter doesn't even want to be bothered with you right now. And when it feels like there is nobody to be found who understands what you're going through, Paul does not say that we serve a God who has mercy. No, Paul says we serve the father of mercy. We serve the creator of mercy. We serve the God who has compassion uh, lodged in his DNA and the father of mercy can resonate with whatever season of life in which you find yourself. And so on one hand, he says, God is deeply moved. Ah, uh, he's internally impacted. That, that, that God feels something when you feel something. That God's affected by what affects you. That God begins to feel the weight of the burdens that begin to weigh you down in your life. Don't you allow the enemy to feed you the lie that you are by yourself. The devil is the lie. Even when you feel like you're by yourself, the word says the father of mercy. The father of mercy is right there because on one hand, we have the father of compassion, the father of mercy. But on the other hand, Paul said, just when you think that it was good and it stops right there, he said, not only do we have the father of compassion, on one side, we said, watch this. He said, on the other hand, God is also a comforter. God is also a, a comforter. Uh, and I know you're, you're asking the same question that I'm uh, intending to ask, Brother Paul, when I read this text. And here's the question. How does God comfort us? You know, it's not enough to know that he's a God of all comfort. But I want to know, Paul. Uh, I, I want to know. I want to know how does God comfort us? And then Paul inserts this this Greek word that blesses me every time I read it. I was in this text getting happy, y'all, because uh, Paul in, in, in trying to answer this question inserts this this Greek word right here. It's simple, y'all. Uh, the word is periclesis. You can go ahead and say it right there. If you get it wrong, can't nobody hear you anyways. Uh, periclesis is the word that Paul inserts into, into this text to answer the question of how does God comfort us when we find ourselves in situations when we're carrying burdens that are too heavy for us to carry. And the thing that makes me happy when I think about this idea of the periclesis because it implies a a legal advocate. Yeah, it, it implies uh, someone who is qualified to speak in a way that what he says will happen is as sure as if a judge in a courtroom declared it. Yeah, yeah. Per Periclesis says that, that we have a legal advocate who is closer to us 
than any brother or any friend. And watch this. It means it means an intimate call. Someone who knows you personally, an intimate call given to deliver God's verdict in the midst of the noise. In other words, God says, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, speak, speak what you want to speak about my daughter. Say what you want to say about my son, because once all the noise clears, once all the confusion gets out the way, then God says, then it's my turn to speak. You can say what you want to say because it really don't mean nothing. And God says, once the, once the noise begins to settle, once the chaos and the confusion begins to die down, then our legal advocate takes his position and he pronounces his verdict in the midst of all the noise that is going around. It's an intimate call, y'all. Periclesis. It's a close call. Watch this. That reveals how God weighs in on the relevant facts of your case. In other words, it's the evidence that God speaks about you in the midst of what everybody else is saying. I'm getting happy, y'all. In the midst of the dirt that people are throwing on your name, in the midst of the people, whether inside your family or out, that counted you out, that said you ain't want to amount to nothing, that said they don't want nothing to do to you, you ain't no good. Y'all know the words that have been uh, spoken over your life, Uh, uh, those, those words of negativity, those words of death and not life. God says, yeah, get all that trash out the way because then I'm going to stand up and I'm going to give the final verdict. And here's what it is, y'all, that God's comfort has the power to override what the naysayers say about you with what he has already declared about you. Ah, Listen, God God says, God says, uh, when I speak and when I give my verdict, it cancels what anybody else says. Whether it's your teacher, it's canceled. Whether it's your pastor, it's canceled. Whether it's your parent, it's canceled. God said, when I speak, it overrides what everybody else says about you. And when I begin to speak, I, I, I transform what the naysayers say, and I replace it with this. What I've already declared about you. And here's the question, y'all. What has God already declared about you, his, his daughter, and you, his son? Come here, Jeremiah. I know the plans <laughs> that I have for you plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope come here paul when paul says for we are his workmanship created in christ jesus for good works which god prepared beforehand that we should walk in them come here luke luke says why even the hairs of your head is all numbered fear not You are of more value than many sparrows. Come here, Isaiah, in this thing off for us. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Listen to me. Whoever it is that I'm speaking to you right now, uh, whoever they are, uh, the naysayers, that's who they are. Uh, The people that, that counted you out, that's who they are. Whoever they are, they always say a whole lot. And here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to focus on what they say, whoever they are. I want you to focus on what God has already declared about you. And God said, you're the apple of his eye. God said, if it were just you, he would have left heaven and come down here on the same mission just to get you. Forget what they say. We ain't ain't gonna even give them a name. Forget what they say. If they ain't saying what God says, it's trash. Paul says, your burdens 
are not meant to break you. Your burdens are not meant to frustrate you. No, no, no. But we have an opportunity to look at the one who declares that you are his. I love the hymn, y'all, that says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth become strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Your burdens are meant to remind you that your trials are currently training you to transform others' troubles through godly comfort. The first blessing, the first blessing is that our burdens train us to see God's comfort in the midst of confusion. Here's the second blessing. We're almost done, y'all. Second blessing is this. Our personal experience with God's comfort enables us to be a comfort to others. God's, uh, our personal experience with God's comfort enables us to be a comfort to others. The Word of God says, uh, he who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation or comfort also abounds through Christ. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. Here's the Cliff Notes version. Your burdens aren't about you. My burdens aren't about me. God's comfort is not about you. And God's comfort is not about me. Paul says that our burdens, thank you, God that our burdens connect us with the sufferings of Jesus. Yeah, you, you remember him, right? The, the same Jesus that bled and died, the, the same one that was mocked and betrayed by his own creation. Paul says when you have the, the, the blessing of dealing with burdens, when you have the blessing of enduring burdens, don't cry, don't feel bad for yourself. He says because that simply connects you more with Jesus, who suffered more than any of us would ever care to suffer. And watch this. Why did Jesus endure those burdens? Here it is, to save humanity. No, I'm not Jesus. No, you're not Jesus. But in the same way, your burdens ought to result in somebody else's blessing. God's comfort for you ought to result in your comfort for somebody else. And one of our main objectives as believers... As leaders, as the head and not the tail, is to teach others how to handle adversity and advantage. Here, yeah. to, to teach others how to be faithful in the good and in the bad, how, how to handle adversity and advantage. If you're going through it right now in your life, tap in to God's comfort. When you're experiencing God's comfort, look for a way uh, to comfort somebody else in the troubles that they're going through. Listen, y'all, you have no idea the burdens that people are carrying. You have no idea what a kind word of encouragement might do to somebody, what a kind act of comfort might do to help somebody who's ready to kill themselves. You have no idea what people are dealing with in this year and how hellacious this 2020 has been for people's lives. You'd be amazed what a kind word would do. You'd be amazed uh, how, how positively you can impact somebody's life just by saying you can make it a little longer. Paul says, it's not enough that you're comforted, but you got to comfort somebody 
else. And so I want to leave you today with Paul's counsel to us believers. Paul's counsel to us believers who endure things every now and then. Paul's comfort to us believers right now. Uh, just three, three points I want to give you. Here's the first one. Engage. First one's engage. We're going to write that in the comment section. Paul's counsel to us as we wrap this thing up. The first word of counsel is engage. In other words, get actively involved in God's calling on your life. If you have not already tapped into what God has called you to do, be obedient to whatever word God has spoken over your life, whatever that entails. Get busy doing what God tells you to do. I know you might not want to do it. I know it might not coincide with the plans that you had for your life, but here's Paul's first word of counsel. Engage. Tap into what God has called you to do. And here's one thing that I've noticed about God's calling, that although God's calling on our lives is individual, it has corporate implications. Yeah, it might be individual, the calling, but it has corporate implications. In other words, it affects, it has aspects that affect other people around you. First word of counsel Paul gives us, engage. Now, don't just engage, but here's the second point of counsel that Paul gives us, uh, not just to engage, but also to endure. To endure. One, one thing that I've come to realize is that the more and the longer you and I connect with people, the more difficulties will come. Yeah, because my sinfulness mixes with their sinfulness, and the only end result to that is difficulty and strife and contention and division. And so even in those moments where it becomes difficult, even in those moments where strife becomes sure, even in those moments where you feel like giving up, Paul says, endure. <laughs> Keep on going just a little while longer. Uh, we endure through God's comfort. We keep going through God's comfort. We, we get the, the motivation to keep on keeping on through God's comfort. Paul says, number one, engage. Tap into what God has called you to do. It's going to impact somebody else's life. Then he says, then he says, endure. Whenever you find yourself emburdened by things that have happened to you, endure. But here's the last thing, y'all, most important. He says, encourage. Be a word of comfort to somebody who is going through something right now. Don't just look with your hands open to be encouraged by God, but be an encouragement to somebody else because you never know what somebody is facing. My prayer family is simple, simply this, that we would remember that our trials are currently training us to transform others' troubles through godly comfort. And I believe that if we can get that in our spirit, if we can tap into that and hold on to that thing, I believe change is coming. You are coming out. And I hope that you believe that you're coming out because God says you're coming out. It ain't going to always be like this. Trouble ain't going to last always. You are coming out. Lord, we thank you so much for your word today. We thank you for what we have learned and what we have gained through the study of your word. Thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul, who also carried burdens, who also dealt with difficulties. And what my prayer is, is very simple, that we would learn to engage and to get involved in the calling that you've placed over our lives, that we would endure and keep on keeping on even when difficulties come, because we know that the God of all comfort is in our corners, and then that we would be an encouragement 
that we would be a beacon of light and of hope to people who are walking and living in darkness. Do that for us, Lord, to your name's glory and honor, and we'll give you all the praise. That's our prayer in the matchless name of Jesus. Let everyone say amen, amen, and amen. God bless you.